Well, good morning. I trust everybody is, I actually had, it's unique for me to sleep eight hours. I had eight hours sleep last night. So I hope I don't put you guys to sleep this morning though, okay? Um, for those of you who know, and those of you who don't, I am your, your pastor's father. So I guess if um, you have a problem with Josh, you can blame me. I don't know what else to say. And this is my lovely wife of, I, I checked in to make sure I was right, 45 years we're married this year. Isn't that great? Amazing. Seems literally like yesterday, as uh, I often tell young parents, and I see a few here, don't blink because it'll be over pretty quick. They'll be out of the house, and uh, you'll be missing them. Because no I have a 95-year-old mom, and she still talks to me like I'm 12 at times. <laughs> so I look at her, and I sometimes I go, Mom, I think I can handle this. I'm six, almost 68 years old, Mom. I can handle this. So moms and dads never quit loving their kids, do they? That's the way it works. It's supposed to work that way. Um, we don't have a lot of time, but I think it's kind of important that I tell you a little bit about us. Um, my wife and I are first-generation believers. It still brings tears to me what God has done in our life. Truly, and I'll, I will quote this scripture in a little while, but the scripture is true when it says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor is the heart of those who love Christ can imagine what God will do in your life. And I'm looking at you guys, and you're all a lot younger than me, and I'm going, what a future, an amazing future you have. And it's like our worship leader, God truly... He loves you more than you can imagine. And we get glimpses of that love and that revelation in our life as we traverse, as we walk with God. And that concept of walking with God is very much like the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve walked with God. And that's what God wants us to do. And he's going to restore that perfect relationship. In fact, the scripture that we will look at today somewhat reflects in part of that. It's... Um, it's hard to know where everybody is in the Word of God. I've been studying it for 40-some years, so I have to sometimes be careful on how I try to communicate the Word of God. Those of you who are communicators and what you do, it's, you know you have to communicate to your, the people that you're talking to. You can't talk above them, below them. You need to talk to them and help them to understand. And that is, that is our prayer. My wife and I, like I said, have been in ministry for over 40 years. We served as pastors, actually, for over 22 years um, in several places around California. And for the last 20 years now, we have been actually missionaries. Um, I don't know if Josh told you this, but I'm fully Jewish, which really blew my mind when I found out Jesus, number one, he is who what the Christians declared he was the Messiah. I had no clue Jesus was even Jewish when I came to faith in Christ. I'm a product of the 60s and 70s. Some of you have read about that. I lived it and survived it. And that sounds funny, but it's true. I really did. And uh, 
I ran these streets and a lot of other streets, grew up just over the hill in the uh, San Fernando Valley. So there's a lot to know about us, but we don't have time to do that today. So I'm going to, uh, I've titled the message, Knowing Your Future. And when I say that in the broadest sense, as we when you communicate the Word of God and the understanding of the setting of the Scripture, we must understand that God speaks to us individually. Can you say, yeah, God speaks to But He also speaks to us corporately. So when you read the Word of God, you must be open to both concepts. He's also speaking to a particular people in the Old Testament, the Jewish nation, the people that God chose to bring forth the Messiah. The message of Messiah, a redeemer, one who would come, and how he's going to restore what has been pretty much destroyed. Um, a phrase that I often use that I like to leave with people when I speak to them in regards to serving God is the greatest gift that you can give to God is not your money, it's not even your time, what it is is your obedience. When you give God your obedience, as the scripture says in the uh, uh, Old Testament, the Tanakh, uh, obedience is the greatest gift that you can give to God. And that's what God is looking for. Again, why? It's really, the gospel's not complicated, the word of God. At times, seems to be complicated, especially when you get in eschatology and things like that. But it's basically, man made a mistake, God's trying to help you and I get and make the mistake right. But he's always with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Can you say hello, amen, something like that? So Isaiah 65, and I'm going to be reading from the last part of that. There are nine verses, and uh, I'm already mad at your pastor a little bit because he told me what I had to preach from. And, you know, you don't like your kids telling you what to do. But I was obedient to the pastor. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's not my church. So we're going to be looking at Isaiah 65 and the last, uh, I think it's 9 verses 17 through 25. And if you want to follow, you can. If not, I have plenty of them to read. But it has been said that the second oldest occupation in the world is the buying and selling of predictions. When I read that and I began to think about it, it started to make a lot of sense to me. Some people call the buying or the selling of predictions forecasting the future. Others call it even fortune-telling, and I've had the privilege of traveling this great nation from coast to coast, speaking in many, 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 many cities, and I can tell you there's a fortune-teller in every city in, in America. It's amazing to me. Uh, when you think about it. Um, others call it prophecy, and there is uh, something that we need to understand biblically. It's not anything that we need to trip over, but uh, there is prophecy not to be confused with to prophesy. Prophesy is basically coming with a divine understanding. Prophecy, not always. So um, regardless of how you define knowing the future, it fascinates most of us. During the 60s, it was a big thing about uh, knowing the future. Uh, for those who invest in Wall Street, knowing the future has a deep attraction. For example, if you bought just 505 shares of Facebook the day it went public, it would have cost you about 
$38, and it would have cost you a total of $19,200, which is less than a car today. Even back when Facebook went public. But today, that same 505 shares of Facebook is worth over $100,000. And you've heard people say, well, if I would have known that, I would have bought 1,000 shares of Facebook. So there's this kind of uh, innate desire within us to know the future. Not everyone will openly admit that they'd like to know the future, yet uh, the God who knows your future mind does not forecast the future. And this is the thought here. God is not a fortune teller. He's not a prophecy expert. You see, God is not in the business of predicting anything, but he is in the business of revealing himself and his plan for you and me. And I want to say that again. God is in the business of revealing himself, number one, and his plan for you and me. And that's why I kind of opened with that thought. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor is the heart of men. Even begin to perceive the scripture in the, in the Greek, that thought is, you can't even imagine what God has for you. And I can't over or under emphasize that this morning. I want you to know that you have a hope serving God. If you know Jesus today, you've got more than you can imagine. Literally is what the scriptures tells us. So the question that I would ask this morning, does your future include a blessing and a hope? Okay, so I want to help us to understand this a little bit further. I'm going to give an illustration again from God's Word, because God's Word best illustrates itself. The book of Revelation, it is often thought about as a book of prophecy, yet it's really not a book about prophecy. It's about a book exactly, what is it? It's not the book of revelations. It's actually a singular word when you think about it. It also talks about it's a revelation of God to John, the apostle of God, about the things that are going to happen. First of all, it's a revelation of Jesus. Again, what I'm saying, that power, because everything starts and ends with Jesus. The second thing is, it is about the future of what is going to take place in the life of Jesus and his church. Jeremiah 29.11, in the Living Translation, says this, For I know the plans that I have in mind for you, declares Adonai, one of the names of God. Plans for shalom. Everybody thinks, and it's a common greeting, especially in this area, I do some actually Jewish evangelism because there's lots of Jewish people around here. So a greeting is shalom. Shalom is more than peace. It's actually a, a pronouncement of, or a blessing uh, of peace in people's lives and a blessing of God. And that's what Jeremiah is saying. God's plans are a blessing of peace and not calamity. He contrasts that, which is important for us to know, and it says to give you a future and a hope. And I want you to know it's great to have hope, especially when you're way down here in life. You know what? I have a hope. There's an old hymn that talks, my hope is built in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Every time I feel like a dirty, rotten bum because I blew it, I want you to know that hope comes alive within me. I don't know if you can identify with that, but I'm telling you, God gives me hope. When I was in the world, there was very few things that gave me hope. I'd had lots of money. I had lots of things going for me, but it was very empty in my life. 
And it was because of the lack of hope that someone dared to tell me about the hope that I came to faith in Christ that changed my life. She's sitting right there. She said, simply, just ask the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob if he can change your life. Now, to me, that was in Hebrew, we have a word called michva. It means like a, a grandmother's tale, a fairy tale. I thought Jesus is a fairy tale and a cuss word. And literally, when I broke down and I submitted in obedience to God's word, not even knowing it, what happened? Jesus came in and transformed and changed my life to the point that I still am amazed at it today. It absolutely just blows my mind. I don't know how else to communicate to you that you have a hope that does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out or revealed in our hearts what the scripture teaches and tells us. So again, the question that I asked this morning, does your future include a blessing and a hope? If not, it's simple to get on the track. The same is true of the text today. It is a revelation of who Jesus is and the future that we who call Jesus our Lord and Savior have. Isaiah 65, and I want to read verses 17 while I blow my nose. Excuse me. It says, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. And the former shall not be in the remnant to come in mind, but be glad and rejoice forever for what I create. I just want you to think about that, what God creates. I want, do you realize he's creating something in you right now? He says, for what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for a rejoicing and her people of joy and i will rejoice in jerusalem and joy in my people a voice weeping shall no longer be heard nor the voice of the crying no more shall an infant from their life live but a few days nor an old man has not fulfilled his days for the child has, shall die 100 years old but the sinners being 100 years old shall be accursed they that shall build the house and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build another inhabit, and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth children in trouble. For they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. And it shall come to pass that they will call, I will answer. And they, when they are still speaking, I will hear. And then verse 25, which is a very messianic thought amongst the Jewish nation. Uh, when I say that, because you've got to remember, this is, who, this is the context of who it's being written at. And now the prophet says this, the wolf and the lamb shall feed together. You've probably heard the phrase, the lion shall lay down with the lamb. That's where this comes from. That's that concept. And it says, the wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox, which means he no longer will tear flesh. Because if you think about a lion and a lamb today, the lamb is the dinner for the lion. But there is coming a time in the future where God is saying, the lion shall eat straw 
like the lamb, and they shall lay together. In other words, there be, shall be shalom. There shall be peace. You know, um, I can't tell you enough about peace because before I knew Christ, I thought paying the car payment was peace. Paying the mortgage payment was peace. Being at friends with friends with people was peace. But there's a peace much deeper, and that's what is being pulled out here. In fact, the scriptures allude to a peace that passes all understanding. And again, we must grasp from what God tells us what is in our present future and in our longevity of looking far ahead. And he says, the lion shall eat straw like the ox and the dust. Interesting passage here shall be as the serpent's food. So when we think about this, the first thing that God reveals to his people is that he's going to create is a new heavens and a new earth. And you might be thinking, wow, I've traveled America and I've seen Zion National Forest, I've seen Yosemite, I've seen the giant redwoods, I've seen the crystal caves, I've seen the beauty of this earth. Why do we need a new earth? And need I remind you and I why God is creating a new heavens and a new earth is because for very simplistically, it's been corrupted. That's why God said, if any of you have a garden, you realize the earth is corrupted because you're constantly pulling out weeds. In all its beauty and its splendor, it still is suffering under the influence of corruption. It still is tainted by sin. When you and I come to Christ, God removes our sin, the scripture says, as far as the east is from the west. That means, guess what? It's not to be remembered again. There are other scriptures that even bring validity to that. And that wonder of knowing your sins are forgiven, what a blessing that is it has been in my life. Because again, I want to remind you where I come from. I come from the 60s and 70s. What you read about is what I lived. And it was no doubt about it when man and people at that particular time in American culture and history, they did whatever they wanted. And it was accepted. And there were no boundaries. And they continued to explode, which eventually caused me to come to a point where life was not worth it with all the money that I had and everything that was going supposedly right from that perspective. And that's what, again, drove me to Christ. God is creating a new heavens and a new earth simply because of the effects of sin. In the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 18 through 23, we find a wonderful picture of God's plan for the new heavens and the new earth. Romans 8, 18 says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time not worthy to be compared with the coming glory to be revealed. Again, there's the future. The coming glory that is yet to be revealed is what the author writes. For creation eagerly awaits the revelations of the sons of God. Now, the context of that sons of God is not capital sons of God. It's the children of God. It's you and I who have accepted Christ. It's a revelation that is further awaiting us is what the scripture says. 
that great revelation. For creation, verse 20, was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of the one who subjected it, meaning of sin, in hope that creation itself would also be set free from the bondage and decay into the glorious freedom of the children of God. For we know that the whole of creation groans together and suffers birth pains until now. The context is actually a woman who is going through labor pains. And as she goes through that period of time as she's moving forward she's experiencing great pains and there are times in this world when we recognize still the sin that has tainted this world has also tainted you and I even though Christ has forgiven us of our sins and the only way you can accept that and understand that is by accepting Christ I thought it would be impossible to know that your sins are forgiven. But God has a wonderful power of revealing himself and what he's done. And if I could just quote our, our worship leader today, he talked about a period of revelation of God's love to him and that understanding. Verse 23 goes on. It says, and not only creation, but even ourselves, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the rauch. Rauch is the Hebrew word, and it's important to use it here because it, it means the breath of God. And it's when God created Adam and Eve and he said he breathed in them, that's what he does. That same principle, that understanding, comes to the person who asked Christ to come into their life. And what it does, it purges us and allows now the Spirit of God to come dwell. We often say it, well, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is Rauk HaKodesh in Hebrew, which means God's Spirit that breathes on us is holy. So it's a little bit different in the concept of if you're in um, North Carolina. They're going to call it the Holy Ghost. If, am I right? Right. Well, that's the concept of God's Spirit breathing in you. That's the concept and the understanding of God coming into us and revealing himself. It is the supernatural world that catches up with the natural world because there comes a day when you seek God and you know him that you will know your sins are forgiven. There's no doubt in my mind, as bizarre as that may sound to people who don't know Christ, there's no doubt in my mind that my sins are forgiven. But there's no doubt in my mind that I'm still tainted by sin because there are days I don't act too much like a child of God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Anybody listen? You living in my house? God does point to a time, though, when we will be free from sin. The author of Romans clearly teaches us those who have accepted Christ and we, his creation, are still tainted. And we await the day of all creation to be free from sin that we will be like Jesus. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says this. Beloved, now we, the children of God, and it's not yet made manifest what we shall be. Again, it's looking to the future. It's looking to, because there's not only going to be a new heavens and a new earth, there's going to be a new you. Hello, anybody living in my house? I can't wait for that day. You know what I mean? Uh, I just look in the mirror at 68 years old now, and I just say, who is that guy? Because I'm not relating to that old face anymore. I'm still up here. I'm relating to 22 years old running the streets and singing the praises of God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But there is a day when that 
old mind and this old body is going to catch up with each other. You hear? And that's what it's talking about. That day of revelation when it will happen. We await the day when all creation shall be free from sin. In that day, we will be like him. Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it is not yet manifest what we shall be. We know when we are manifested, we will be like him. So God's larger plan of redemption includes more than a new heavens and a new earth. It includes a new me and a new you. As the Holy Spirit is in us, he reveals these truths to us. People often ask me, well, how do you know that God lives? How do you know that God is alive? And I'll say to be very candid with you because I don't, no sense in lying to people. It's not who we are. I tell them, you know what? I cannot help you to understand, but you can experience God. I, cannot, I can only tell you what God's done in my life. I can tell you how he's changed it, how he's transformed it. But for you to know God, you have to experience him yourself. See, and that's what I'm talking about, that revelation of God. God is in the business of revealing himself. Think about it. From the very beginning to actually the very end of the book of Revelations, what is God doing? He's revealing himself. He's revealing himself to mankind, those who, who have sinned and those who have accepted Christ. One of the great wonders of God's redemption is understanding that God no longer remembers our sin. I talked a little bit about that. We often uh, remember our sins of the past. In fact, like I said, it's, it's gotten better. I often tell people the uh, sin is like a scar in your life. There are things that I've done that make me shudder today. How did I ever do that? But after time and experience with God, and again, revelation of God. What happens is, if you've ever had a bad scar, over a period of time, that scar begins to fade and becomes less and less noticeable. When it first happened, it was very obvious. But then as you serve God and you begin to understand God and you grow with God and God begins to re reveal himself to you, those scars of the past, they're not totally forgotten. There are times that the enemy actually comes in and will tell you about them. And he will taunt you with them. But God tells us that he is going to remove those thoughts from us. <clears throat> Psalms 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Jeremiah 31.34 says, No longer will each teach his neighbor or each his brother, saying, Know Adonai to know him, for they will know me from the least of them to the greatest. It is a declaration of God, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin and remember them no more. Isaiah 65, 18 and 19 says, I will make Jerusalem a joy and her people a delight. The delight God is speaking of is you. I want you to... The prophet Nehemiah, when Israel was exiled from Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was wailing and gnashing of teeth, and they were taken into bondage, and then God began to turn things around. I want you to know God turns things around. 
All we got to do is get back on the track and start going with God. And he turns, all things work together for the good of God that love him and called according to his purpose. He takes the bad, changes it to good. Doesn't mean it happens overnight, but it happens. And when Nehemiah recognized that it was time for Israel to go back to Jerusalem and start building the walls, he began, he stood, he was, must have been a short guy because he stood on a platform and began to speak to the people. And he said this phrase that you've probably heard before, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Well, that's often quoted, but to bring it into context, the people were weeping and crying. Why? Because for days the prophet was reading the laws of God and they had failed God. And they now recognize that they had failed God. And Jeremiah said, it's great that you recognize that you have failed God. But he says, it's not time to cry. It's time to rejoice because you're moving back towards God. And that's why he says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And to serve God for, listen to me, for any length of time takes those intermittent splats of joy to come into your life, especially when you feel like you failed them the most or you've been away from them for a while. It's time to seek God, and it's not seeking the joy. It's just seek God. Those who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness, the Scripture says, shall find it. So it's a matter of doing just what Nehemiah said, getting back on track and moving closer towards God. God's plan for those who accept Christ, as Jeremiah said, is a plan with a future and a hope. This plan does not begin just where we think it needs to begin. It actually begins with Christ. It's not at the second coming. That'll be a fulfillment of part of it. It's not even during the millennial reign. It's not even during when God casts all of Satan and his enemies into the fiery furnace. It begins right now where God begins. That's why the scripture says, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. Old things pass away and all things become new. For the sake of time, I, I want to close with some personal comments regarding the congregation today. Um, I want to talk about your future in relation to this passage of Scripture. First, that you need to forget your past and move on forward for God. That's an important part of our life, corporately as well as individually. Philippians 3.13 says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself as taking hold of this, meaning perfection Paul is writing about. He says, But this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward. Actually, it's an, it's an effort that takes place. Forward in what is ahead. Philippians 3.14 says, I press towards the goal and the reward of the upward calling in God. I want to uh, give you a prophecy regarding your congregation corporately. God knows the plans that he has for you, individually and corporately. God's not confused. He just wants to reveal them to you. He has plans for shalom, peace, and blessing. And when I say that, as you move forward as a congregation, always seek God's peace, not the opposite. 
move forward, remembering that God has a plan and a blessing for you. He's not promised calamity, but blessing to give you a future and a hope. The last verse of Isaiah 65 says this, that the serpent's food will be dust. What, what does that actually mean? Well, if you remember in the garden, when God cursed the serpent for te- testing and tempting the woman, he said, you're going to slither and you're going to eat the dust. The fulfillment of that prophecy is here in Isaiah at the very end, where God says he's basically destroying the serpent. We have to remember that in our personal lives and in the life of the church. Jesus said it this way, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. That includes corporately and that includes individually. So we have to remember that the enemy is under our feet. There is an old song that says, he's under our feet. And we must remember that because he's already been defeated. The devil has no power over you. He has no power over God's church. God is the head of his church. And God is the head of your life. Can you say amen? You have a future and a hope. So I'm going to pray a blessing, and then you can come up, and then we'll prepare to close. But, Father, we thank you today for a future and a hope that has been promised by you in multitudes of ways, Lord. Through the prophet Isaiah, through the prophet Jeremiah, there are probably some today, Lord, who are thinking, gee, there's no hope for me. Yet, Lord, you have promised there is hope. There is a future. Lord, we have yet to recognize it. And I pray, Father, for every person here who feels like their future has been crushed or destroyed or done away with, that, God, that you will begin to put within them a hope, as the scripture says, we have a hope that does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through what? The very Holy Spirit of God, through the Rauk HaKodesh. Lord, breathe again new life. Allow your spirit to come. Strengthen us as a body of believers and individuals as we pray and ask these things in Jesus' precious name. And if you will be kind enough to join with me, the Word of God demands a response, not how we feel. It demands a response. God is always looking for a response. That's why He is revealing Himself to us. So I'm not asking you to respond to me. I'm just asking you to respond to God. Because when you open your heart and respond to God, he moves in like a rushing mighty wind. His Holy Spirit will do what you think is impossible. So take a moment. I don't know the traditions of your church, your congregation, 
But somehow, this morning with me, will you respond to God? Thank Him. For me, it's very easily to be emotional. He's a God that transforms, changes. Think about it. If He can create a new heavens and a new, if He can create the earth and the heavens that we declare now, but He's going to renew it. Why? Because it's going to be without corruption. He's renewing you and me so there is no corruption left. That the taint of sin will be totally washed. We will be new creatures in Christ Jesus someday. Can you say amen? Father, thank you today for your goodness and grace, mercy and love. Bless these people. Bless all that they do. In Jesus' name, amen.